Welcome to Mulready Minutes with Oklahoma Insurance Commissioner Glenn Mulready. This is a podcast about insurance for insurance folks, risk managers, and business leaders. We'll dive deep and look at what is and isn't working, talk to leaders in the industry, and keep you informed on what's happening in Oklahoma and around the country. Okay, welcome to another Mulready Minute uh, podcast. We are really pleased today to have with us our Secretary of Health and the CEO of the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, Kevin Corbett. Kevin, welcome. Glenn, thanks for having me. Appreciate Good. it. Look forward to this this conversation. Uh, a little bit first about you, and then I'll let you kind of kind of go into more detail. But um, uh, Kevin was named in 2019, August of 2019, as the CEO of the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, which is our Medicaid uh, agency. And then in June of 20, was named Secretary of Health uh, and Mental Health. Uh, he had retired uh, six years ago, if I have that right, from Ernst & Young, a long career there, advising large companies. Uh, he is a graduate of... Uh, I'll, I'll keep my bias to myself, May Oklahoma State University, I've had three sons there, <laughs> two still there. So uh, Oklahoma State University in accounting, and then went on to the Kel- Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern. And so, Kevin, welcome, and fill in any details. Tell us about no, that's, Kevin that's Corbett. that's plenty about me. Kevin? You know, my, as you mentioned, I joined the Healthcare Authority in August of 19, my first entry really into public service. Prior to that, as you mentioned, it was all private uh, sector information and, and the involvement. So I'm just pleased to be here, and all the things I've learned in those last three years have been f- fantastic. So. Yeah. And so if I can ask yeah. uh, family, children, anyone, uh, uh, wife Oklahoma of 40, State students? or get this right. One, <laughs> wife of 42 years, four children, uh, two married, uh, three grandkids. Uh, as a nice. present, we'll have five before the end of the year. How good. Yeah, so we're really excited about the new two coming to us. Congratulations. At the morning event that we were both just at, it dawned on me when it was announced from the front that my anniversary, my 35th here this year, falls on Easter. Wow. Easter Sunday, April 9th. Congratulations to you for your long service. Thank you. Um, okay, so the uh, healthcare authority and the oversight of that. For those that don't know, t- talk a little bit about just the overall, generally the healthcare authority and what they do and how many people they serve, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'd be happy to. It's a very important agency, um, one that I've become to respect greatly over the last three years. Its mission is really about uh, serving our Medicaid population, which today that number is about 1.3 million Oklahomans out of the 4 million population. So about a third of our population, we have the, four, the, the benefit and the privilege to serve in providing health care. Our vision, Glenn, at the Health Care Authority, which I think is a vision that we can all adopt as Oklahomans, is for all Oklahomans to be healthy and have access to quality health care services regardless of the ability to pay. And that's what we've been focusing on. And as we think about what we're, we're experiencing today, we've got a really important thing that we're, we're working on right now I know you want to talk about, and that's the end of the public health emergency, which mm-hmm. we all probably have welcomed. You know, it is now here with us. It's been uh, the last three years working through the public health emergency, but as a result, there's some changes that are going to take place with some of our Medicaid members. Um, but these are individuals, their neighbors, their employees, their colleagues, quite frankly, that we have the benefit of serving. And we've done it for the last 30 years. So this is our 30th anniversary of serving the Medicaid population in the state of Oklahoma. So prior to the pandemic and the and the PH, public health emergency, PHE, yeah. um, I, I go to what, what what's one of the biggest hurdles that the healthcare authority faces, uh, either in reaching the population or what would you say is a been a hurdle for you guys? Well, I would say it's been an opportunity. It's been a it's been a challenge to some degree. But if you think about where we stand in, in Oklahoma, recognized in terms of the comparison to other states, um, 
health outcomes is one that we have been troubled by. And at the Healthcare Authority, but by having the benefit and the privilege to serve 1.3 million individuals, you know, we have a real unique opportunity to try to make a difference in their lives with regards to health outcomes. And so we're ranked 48th in the country um, in health outcomes. We've been there for a long time. And as a native Oklahoman, now having the opportunity to kind of be in public service, it's something that we need to commit to change. And so we've been working on, at least from the Medicaid perspective, is trying to change the delivery system for one that just provides service to really delivering outcomes. And so we've been on a journey to do that ever since I came here. Uh, and we're, we're real close in terms of putting a new system in place that will honor and commit to driving health outcomes, if you will. Yeah, the public health emergency and the pandemic uh, was a bit of a challenge a for us as well, a bit of a curveball. Um, but you might know one of the things we did during the pandemic is that we expanded Medicaid coverage for adults 19 to 64. And today we have, in our call it our expansion population, about 300,000 individuals that make up our expansion population. We did that and launched that in July 1 of 21. So. Got it. And so... Um, as you and I both were looking ahead to the ending of the public health emergency, and um, we probably sat down, it was probably about a year ago, it was. Um, that our agency sat down to talk about that, that, hey, the the end is going to come, and how are we going to handle that? And, you know, we, we have good insight on the private market, right. but don't necessarily know your space, and uh, you, you don't know the private space, and so uh, just kind of collaborating there to figure out how to help uh, help prevent folks from falling through the cracks right and so i know at that time um uh it, we were talking about about two hundred thousand people right and um the, not so recently when we regrouped again and that number was three hundred thousand. and my initial reaction to that was wait i thought it was two hundred thousand. Right. i realized well wait a year has passed it's now three hundred thousand right. as that has grown so right. tell us about those three hundred thousand people uh they've n- you guys have not been able to disenroll folks like you typically would. Right. Uh, and so how's that process going to work? What's that look like? So just a little bit of context, as maybe some of your listeners are familiar with. I mean, the Medicaid program is a state and federal partnership, and it's based on a set of criteria of eligibility, largely income. So to the extent an individual has a certain level of income and does not exceed that, they have the ability to be a member of Medicaid and Sooner Care, as we call it, and receive services through our program. Uh, A couple of things happened during the pandemic. I mentioned one, which was the expansion of Medicaid to 19 to 64-year-olds. But we also took advantage of something we were allowed to do, and other states did as well, is to allow continuous coverage during the pandemic or during the public health emergency, regardless of an individual's eligibility during that period of time. If you were a Medicaid member at the start of the public health emergency or you became one, became eligible and joined, then you would not be disenrolled regardless of what happens to your eligibility. And things change in people's lives, as you know. Circumstances mm-hmm. occur whether uh, we're there to help those that are in need and in cases where they're no longer in need, the disenrollment or the termination of their eligibility typically would take place. So that did not occur during the public health emergency. Now that the public health emergency has been established in terms of its termination, which is in May, uh, maybe d- back a little bit, in December there was something called the Consolidated Appropriations Act that the president signed. Uh, A very large, complicated, 4,000-page, I think, bill. But one of those things in the bill was a decoupling from the public health emergency termination and this thing called continuous coverage, which is the thing I mentioned is uh, members would not be disenrolled. Um, There was a date certain on that. Prior to that bill being signed, 
Um, the public health emergency had been extended multiple times for 90-day periods. So we had been preparing with you and our team about when this disenrollment or this continuous coverage would end, but it never came to pass mm -hmm. So until now. So April 1, the, the continuous coverage ceases, and there's a process that would require the disenrollment, anybody at that time who is not longer eligible, to be disenrolled over a period of nine months. And you're right. Um, based on our information today, we estimate of the 1.3 million members that we have today, about 300,000 are not eligible by our criteria, yet still receive service and will continue to receive service over this disenrollment period. So it's a big undertaking. Um, the way we're approaching it, Glenn, is uh, maybe a little different than other states, but we're not going to do it just simply ratably over a course of nine months. 25, 30,000 individuals a month. We've looked at it in terms of why are they ineligible and what is their circumstances today. Mm -hmm. so we have a lot of data on these individuals. About 80% of the total numbers that we believe are ineligible are due to income exceeding our limits, if you will. The other 20% are for other reasons, um, and we're working hard to make sure that those other reasons are understood and dealt with such that we don't disenroll anyone who's truly eligible, but by virtue of certain circumstances, whether it's missing information and things of that nature. So we really only want to deal with those that are truly ineligible by the guidelines, if you will. Um, so we're working on the basis of who is in what situation such that we do this with a very thoughtful, compassionate mm -hmm. approach, such that anyone who's vulnerable, if you want to call it that, a vulnerable individual who is in the episodes of care today, receiving treatment, cancer treatment, whatever, you know, various types of treatments, we want to make sure that we do not disrupt that treatment and we look to the latest period in time we can before disenrollment occurs. And circumstances can change during that period as well. So we have nine months, so we're going to start April 1, the process, and take it through the end of the year um, in a very phased, thoughtful approach. So an individual, take an individual, an adult who is uh, over income, has already found additional coverage or alternative coverage through maybe an employer plan or something like that, and has no children under five, they would be our kind of first phase to go, the least vulnerable, if you will. Uh, a next group could be a, a set of individuals, adults particularly, uh, that may not have coverage already arranged, but in fact are over income eligibility, no kids, and no services used of the Medicaid program for the last six months. So again, trying to focus on the, the, mo the most vulnerable and trying to, to uh, be patient with them to the extent we can. Yeah, and, and uh, to give a little detail there, and correct me on anything I say that's, that's wrong, but number one, for the past, well, basically three years, just short of three years, I guess, we have not been allowed to disenroll anyone. It's not like we could come up with something creative. The federal requirements were, everyone had to stay on. And so typically, I think our numbers would be about fifteen to 20,000 a month, folks that would typically disenroll because they suddenly were, I say suddenly, but were making more money, or maybe it was a pregnant single mom who now was six months postpartum, whatever that rule right. might be. And those folks have stayed on, and that's the population we're talking about. That, that's exactly correct. I mean, we, we agreed with our federal partners to participate in this program. We were supported by additional federal funding to do this, to cover the cost of care for this continuous coverage, but uh, one of the things that we agreed to is that we would not disenroll an individual um, throughout the pandemic, and other states are doing this as well. So our 300,000, just to put it in context, is our share, if you will, of that continuous coverage across the nation. 
my, what I've heard is the total numbers of other states in terms of disenrollment that will occur over the next 9 to 12 months is somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 million individuals. But you're right. We do have, on average, about 15,000 members that find changes in their circumstances that no longer require them to be a member of Medicaid or allows them to be a member of Medicaid through the normal course of business. Yeah. And we simply have not disenrolled any of those normal course of business circumstances, if you will. As you know, this past year, I served as the national chair at the NAIC of the Health Insurance Committee. And as I've been talking about this, I've, I've referred to it as the perfect storm with a couple things going on. But of course, mentioning too that, I mean, this is the biggest event since the ACA enrollment. It will be the biggest changeover and in, in, in membership and enrollment. And so our goals, I know our mutual goals yeah. are to help folks not fall through those cracks. You're right. And many of those folks should become eligible then in the marketplace for private insurance and probably at a zero premium with the credits that are available. That's what appears to be the case based on the information we have on income levels for the individuals that are now finding themselves not eligible for Medicaid. So a sooner care alternative could be the federal marketplace, and we hope it would be, at a very low cost to our members. There may be employer plans, quite frankly, mm -hmm. that a number of them may be available to uh, because of employment they've been able to achieve. For those that find themselves not available for those types of activities, we're going to work really hard with our healthcare uh, community partners to find additional alternative coverage such that they do not have a coverage gap, if you will. So a big concern, I know, again, on both our parts has been the communication of that. Right. And um, the population within Medicaid is, is a little bit more challenging to communicate with. Yeah. But tell me about what you guys have done from a communication standpoint. Well, we've stayed in contact with all of our members throughout the public health emergency, making sure that they know to keep their information updated, just like they would in the normal course of business. Albeit, we, we've always kick, uh, conditioned on the basis that the public health emergency is allowing this continuous coverage, but that too will end. But that end date never came to be, and even though we were communicating, it could happen in the next 90 days. So maybe someone got a bit desensitized to that. Mm -hmm. So we've got a pretty significant push right now for communication. Uh, we've got some formal communication we're sending out. Last week we sent out to all of these 300,000 a notice that they are likely ineligible upon the, the, uh, the termination of the continuous coverage. Uh, that was last week. Next, uh, next month we're sending out specific information to each one of those 300 individuals of what their anticipated disenrollment date will be. Um, so they'll know kind of where, their peer, where they are in the queue, if you will, in terms of this phased approach. Then 45 days before that actual disenrollment date, for every individual, we will send them a notice letting them know that their 45 days is starting. And then the last will be 10 days before disenrollment. So we'll touch with them formally in four times in the next nine months. Um, but in the meantime, we're trying to get the word out. Appreciate having me on here. It's getting the word out to anyone that is either a member today that might be part of the ineligible group or those that serve them, our physician groups, our dentists, and every to be aware of this and be asking those members that you encounter, have they updated their information? Is their information current? Do they know their current status with regards to eligibility? Just so full communication is taking place. Yeah, that's just a key part. And I know on, on our end, we are attempting to communicate with the agent broker community, right. those that are licensed in the health insurance space, uh, just as much as possible. So I know our groups have been coordinating together. Yeah, to and, and thanks to you and your groups, as well as those um, those providers out there. I mean, you think about it, if we're talking about 20,000, 15 to 20,000 a month, that's one thing. But if you're talking about 300,000 that you now need to plan for for the next nine months, that's a different type of situation. I know you've extended the enrollment period for these kinds of circumstances, which is great. 
Um, but yeah, if the community is, is understanding that there's 80% of the population that is of the Medicaid population that's over uh, income, it's a likely possibility that their, their opportunities could be the federal marketplace and hopefully would find uh, coverage there. So. And luckily, at the healthcare authority, you have nothing else going on except this, right? So you, <laughs> you know, it's 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 become a normal for us, Glenn. It's just amazing. You know, we we did have we dealt with the public health emergency in a number of ways in terms of flexibilities. Uh, we felt it was important that people had uh, the opportunity to continue to focus on their health during a very difficult time. Um, the public health emergency will require us to revisit some of those flexibilities. Hopefully some of them we can put into permanency. Uh, telehealth was a big savior for mm-hmm. us, particularly on the mental health side and a number of other things. Yes, we're changing the delivery system, um, which is a big undertaking as well, and we're doing this. But the team has always showed the ability to rise to the occasion, um, and so we're doing this with great vigor right now. So. Good. Well, I know you've got a lot on your plate. I'm, I'm 100% uh, joking with you there um, because there is a lot going on with you, and thank you for what you do. As we kind of wrap up, um, if folks want to learn more or folks want to be directed somewhere, wh- where would you direct them to? Uh, the website's a great place. org is a great place. We have a good call center to call in. I can't remember the number oftentimes. I need an acronym on that, but uh, we can get that number to you if you don't have it already. I've got it actually oh, right here. So tell I, me what that number is. <laughs> 800-987-7767. Call that number, and I will tell you it's probably one of the best call centers in the state. The answer times are very quick, uh, and we anticipate that we'll continue that. Um, but I guess the message to anyone associated with a member, make sure that they've tried to do everything they can to get their information yeah. updated. Again, we don't want to drop anybody from the Medicaid program that's, that's eligible, um, and the only reason they wouldn't be is because they have missing documentation or information. That's, that's something we can all avoid, if you will. Yeah, great. Well, and, and as we've heard, I mean, you guys are going to communicate quite a bit with them, but you've got to have that contact info to right. communicate properly. Right. And so. we're gonna, I know we're working together on some public uh, service announcements with your team trying to to make sure that our members who have the opportunity to go to the federal marketplace, that they know what that really means, mm-hmm. and they're educated on that. So that's a different uh, health plan that we need to educate them on. So we'll be working with you and your team to do that as well. So. Yeah, and I might take that moment, um, Kevin, just to address the marketplace and the ACA qualified plans is, is one scenario, and those are Affordable Care Act qualified plans. We have uh, seven companies offering those products in Oklahoma in this next year. But there are other products that are not to that same level. So folks need to be careful in what they are buying and what they're not buying. I mean, if you're looking at a product that's not on the marketplace, it's health insurance, uh, it may be 40% less cost for a reason. So make sure you know what you're not buying as well. So a little public service announcement there. (laughs) That's very important because, again, Coverage and no gap in coverage in terms of their treatments and what they've been receiving today is what we that's our that's our goal, if you will. Good. Well, Kevin, thank you for joining us today and uh, getting the word out. Uh, this is big. Uh, it'll be going on for the next nine nine months. So we appreciate all that you do. And uh, again, folks can go to the website or that phone number. Uh, that website is mysoonercare.org or 800-987-7767 for more information. That's so, great. Thanks. Glenn, thank you for having us. Okay. Well, that wraps up our Mulready Minute with uh, Secretary uh, Kevin Corbett and CEO of the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, where they've got a lot on their plate coming in the next nine months. Uh, so stay tuned uh, for our next episode, and we will see you next time. If you found this episode informative, please subscribe and share with your colleagues. Visit oid.ok.gov podcast. Let us know what topics you would like to hear about on this podcast. Until next time, take care from the Oklahoma Insurance Department.